Welcome to the Landmark Theatre's Q&A podcast. In this episode, you'll hear two Q&As with writer-director Lucio Castro about his debut film, End of the Century, the first moderated by Chris Durenberger and the second moderated by Armando Munoz. These Q&As were recorded at Landmark's New Art Theatre in Los Angeles during the film's opening weekend. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage Lucio Castro. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Uh, so the biggest question I had on my mind is, uh, do you have a Kiss t-shirt in your wardrobe? No, I don't. No. <laughs> Kiss, Kiss t-shirt was totally from the imagination. Yeah, yeah, it was... Um, at first, it was actually uh, it was the, it was a Hard Rock Cafe T-shirt. Oh, <laughs> all right. But we had issues with the copyrights, so yeah. So it, it's actually not the real Kiss logo. It's a little bit tweaked, so it's legally, you know, it looks like it, but it's actually legally. It's a, it's it's a, it's not exactly the legal the logo. It's legally. It's uh, you know what I mean. It skirts the line. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so one, one thing that I, I absolutely love about the film is it captures all these small little details that despite having such a, a huge scope, uh, you take the time to uh, have a shot of him wrapping a condom in toilet paper or you know, him looking at a map trying to, to find a place. Um, were all those little tiny moments like right in there from the script process or, or did you arrive at them through the filming of it? Yeah, no, they were from the script process and they had almost the same weight in the screenplay as like a dialogue moment, you know. It's, I, I wanted awesome. like the, 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 you know, the movie starts as a diary and it has some diary aspect to it. And I feel like, you know, when you go through your life and through your, through your, through your actions and the way you do with objects, uh, in, a, in a real life it has the same, you know, weight, you know, like you lift a cup of water to drink in the same way as you'd say someone hello, you know. So I wanted to keep everything almost in the same, same level. Even the uh, the first like what six you would know the first six or ten minutes of the film are yeah. completely dialogue 13, yeah. free. Thirteen minutes dialogue free. Just that you took the time to do that was was amazing. Um, so what was the genesis of the film? You know, how did you come up with it? Yeah, uh, I, I I wrote the movie basically the way you saw it. So I started with like you know a character arrives in a town that he doesn't know very well. He's been there before, but he's, he doesn't really know that, that town. And actually, I wrote the story without knowing Barcelona so well either. You know, I, I've been a few times, but not really in, in depth. So I so then I just follow the character, and I, I just I basically just wrote it as I saw it. Um, so he, I follow the character. He goes into this Airbnb. He like, um, you know, I, I love the. I mean, I like the idea in Airbnbs. There are these weird transitional spaces. There's books. And I always want to see, you know, who, some are like random and someone had left. Maybe some were actually curated to be there. What book was he reading? I, I couldn't really read Here, it, it was the Jules Verne. It's like a science fiction book um, cool. that he just picks from there. But it's always, you know, you, I, and Airbnb is not really a hotel. It's warmer than a hotel, but it's still very transient. And it's still, it has some personal touches, but Loaded it's still not really. Loaded with an espresso machine, I see. Right, right, yeah. exactly, yeah. So, so yeah, and then uh, he meets this guy, and then at the end, in, in the middle of the conversation, I, I thought, well, actually, maybe they met before. So then I started writing the first part. So, so from the script writing part, you uh, you kind of arrived at like the middle of the film being their first time meeting, kind of in that, that yeah. writing stage. It's basically it's, I wrote it exactly this, the, almost exactly as a movie. Yeah, there weren't many changes. Yeah. That's great. Um, so you uh, wrote the film, directed the film, and edited the film. Mm -hmm. uh, when did you kind of realize you were donning each respective role? Did, was it all at once, or did you arrive at like, oh, I'm editing this thing? <laughs> no, actually, I I wanted to edit it. I mean, the editing was the easiest part because I, it's exactly like the way I wrote I wrote it, and the, yeah, the movie was done like you know in a very like insular like you know usually you write a script, some a friend reads it, or then you have a screening or whatever. But I wrote it. Um, a, a few. The team was like, you know, as you, as you saw, like you know, like five people, and then I edited it, the movie. So I feel like, you know, um, I had I, weirdly. I knew the way it wanted to be. I knew the timing of each, of each moment. Uh, I'm not saying it's perfect, but I just feel like it's it's what I wanted to tell and how I wanted to tell it. Uh, and I'm also not saying this is gonna be the way forever. But this movie felt like it's. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't do any rewrites on the screenplay. You know, I felt like it's it's uh, it's pretty much the, wow. the way the first draft. Um, the thing, the biggest thing that changed is something that we discussed with the main actor, with Juan um, Barberini, who plays Ocho. Ocho, 
which is the the idea of like not changing them at all, you know. And we wanted to keep it uh, sort of like you know as a personal memory thing, you know. Because if you if I tell you we actually met ten years ago, I'm gonna picture myself and yourself, but ten years ago, you know, I'm not yeah. gonna think of myself younger, you know. Oh uh, yeah. Like memory, when you think of yourself in the past, it's always you think of yourself the way you look now. Sure, I've been bald forever. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> And yeah, so basically that's when we got to this decision that let's keep it the same. It's also, of course, much easier to shoot. And yeah, and it was also more interesting and thought for us too. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Oh, another thing I, I loved about it is uh, is how much you trusted the audience. You trusted the audience to like piece together through the development of the story that like this wasn't uh, a flash forward, but a flash back. And uh, one, at least my interpretation of the ending when he opens up the fridge and it's it's a barren fridge, like that cued me in on on um, you know that section being a, a dream, I guess. Um, but uh, was there ever a moment of like you know thinking you went too far with trusting your audience, or like that you had to like hold yourself to uh, it? No, I mean, as an audience myself, you know, I mainly watch movies all the time. I love to be challenged. I, I mean, not challenged, not the right word. I, I like to to be an active member of the audience. You know, I like to like decode what's going on, uh, anticipate, but also like you know, uh, work. And I, when something's put fed to me, I always feel like that the movie is almost like you know not trusting me enough. Um, so I, I, that was for sure always there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the changes, the shifts in time, done in the same, same with the same weight. It's similar to what you were saying, what you were saying about the objects, you know, the scenes like you know wrapping a condom, like everything. I wanted to keep in the same, with the same importance and the same level because again, we live now. Like now, I'm talking in the present. I feel the cold of the mic. I'm thinking of what I maybe what I ate yesterday or like what I'm doing tonight. You know, we live in these times, you know, present, past, and future. It's all t- together with the same weight, you know. We don't really give. Oh, now it's the past, and now it's the present, and now will be the possible future. You know. Yeah. So, so yeah. It, I I always thought that that was. I mean, I I trusted the audience that they would eventually get it. You know. Did uh, your did your producers trust the audience, or was there any like uh, you know pushback <laughs> from uh, from that? My producer was a friend that I completely dominated, so she had, <laughs> she had no, no question. <laughs> so I had All right. I have one more question, but uh, use this time to come up with your own. Uh, now I have to remember what that question was. Sorry. Um, while I remember what that question I had was, is there a question from the audience? Uh, yes, you, sir. Uh, I really appreciate what you said about the equal weight and the small moments to the larger moments. But there was a moment to me that really stood out as a kind of glaringly obvious um, big moment for the film, and that's the David Warner-Rovich quote that runs across the screen in a very different yeah. mode than mm-hmm. the rest of the action I'm actually going to try to um, briefly synopsize it for for the rest of the audience. Uh, so the the quote um, that that runs across this, the the screen. Uh, why such a, a heavy emphasis on that quote? Yeah, uh, I really like that quote, and I I actually something similar happened. I mean, it's I was sick once with my with my family in a trip, and I was reading that book and. That book was about his. It's a diary, so it's in the past, and he's telling a story about something when he was sick before, uh, in that book. So I like this idea of like myself writing something about something that happened to me with that book. That, and that book is that book is about something that happened to me in the past. So that to me that had that book had in me those three times, and I also love the I love the, that quote. You know, I love the idea of like. Um, this idea of like being, you know, the destination is not really what's what this person is about. It's about being, you know, this this state of free, achieving this state of freedom in this transient, and like you know, moving forward in the process. And I feel like these characters are too. Uh, I mean, not only these characters. I do feel that as people, we are always, you know, we we do things with a goal, and but we are, but we our life is process. You know, it's just to get into the world, and the goal really never exists. You know, and when you get there, you kind of forget about it. And there's not already already another goal. But we do think, and we lie to ourselves, and we do think that we are arriving somewhere. Uh, so that's why you know I, I put that quote there. The the emphasis, you're right. It's 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 definitely very emphasized uh, visually, of course. Because it's one thing that that happens there. Um, I you know there, we tried. I didn't I didn't do it, but I thought of it like maybe having some, some the voice of the other actor reading it. But I feel like when he was read, when you read um, a text. You kind of follow through. You know, there's movement in 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 reading, and I wanted to that do it. That's why I didn't want to just put the text because you know if it's a text, even though if it's the way you read it, it's static. 
And I like to do something more, I guess, more film-like with the film. So I like the idea of like moving the text, scrolling and moving um, when he's reading it um, to kind of give that, that, I guess, that something a bit more dynamic in that moment. All right. Um, so uh, this is your first feature film. Uh, I would imagine that you've made some some shorts. So um, was did you at first like you know think of this as a short film, or, or was it always a feature in your your mind? Yeah, it was always a feature. Uh, yeah, it's always a feature. Yeah. Right. Any other questions from the audience? Um, can you talk about uh, like you know the uh, the process of getting this uh, this off the ground, so you, you started writing it, but did you have a goal in mind of like how, how to uh, actually make the thing? Uh, yeah, it was, I actually, I made the film because I knew I was gonna be there in, in that city. Um, I had a short last year that was in Cannes, so I knew I was gonna be in the area. So I wrote it for that, you know, to be made there. It was very, it was done very fast. Like I, I wrote it like, I guess, two months before shooting it, you know? Wow. So it was just like, you know, it was, of course, we shot it in 12 days with like 16 hour, you know, uh, 16 hour days of shooting. So uh, with a very small group, it was just like, you know, a producer who was a friend and basically she was just fetching us tapas and like, you know, downloading cards and like, you know, stuff like that, like doing permits. And then our DP, the camera, and a sound guy, you know, and the actor. So it was a very, very, very small, small crew. Um, so that that kept it very light and very free, you know, because we could do basically whatever we wanted. Like also going into museums because we were so small, it was very easy to get permits in the beach as well. We never really looked like a film crew, so it was very like easy to like you know. Which is so surprising because I, I think your shot design is is so stellar and every every single shot looks so deliberate. You know, there are some shots, especially in the beginning, which you use the architecture of the environments to such great effect that it looks like you just like, you know spent a while like orchestrating that. Um, uh, was most of your, your time spent on that shot prep or, or was that also just kind of a on the fly thing while directing yeah. your actors? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to do, you know, it's a movie done with like very little, a very little budget and with a very small crew, but I didn't want it to be like just people chatting in a, in a living room kind of sort of movie. Um, I wanted to have, uh, yeah, like to be, to be visually interesting as well. And I mean, Barcelona is such an easy city to shoot. No matter where you put a camera, it's gonna look great. Uh, well, not really, but most of it. And but I do. I we did really spend. I mean, it's really just about picking the locations and then like uh, finding a place, you know, a, a camera angle or you know, um, yeah. Like we did think a lot of like how would because it's they're mainly at the beginning and we wanted to keep that in a sort of like. We wanted to keep attention because you're right; it's 13 minutes when there's no dialogue. Uh, so we wanted to have some sort of movement towards one. I mean, it's I guess of course you know that he's going to meet the other guy because you've seen the traders, I guess, or you've seen you've seen the poster. But we wanted to have that to have that in mind that you know that the, he's kind of like in this landscape that it's very like you know uh, encompassing and it's very like you know. Um, he's almost lost in this, you know, there's actually an actual labyrinth, a maze where he gets lost, but it's, you know. Yeah, where is that? <laughs> that's in <laughs> that Barcelona, really it's, it's a bit far, it's in a neighborhood called Orta, which is a little bit like, you know, north in the mountain, uh, but it's in the city, yeah. Okay. So yeah, basically it was mainly about him getting lost in the city, him playing, discovering the city. Also, when you're alone, you pay attention to everything, you know, you pay attention to the buildings, to you, the other people. When you're with someone, this, the background kind of disappears and you're just, you know, it's just a dialogue you have with somebody else. So we also wanted to have that in mind and show the difference in being alone and where you know your the background becomes very important and when you're with someone it's just not that's important as well. Yeah. Uh, audience check in. Yes, you sir. That song was, sorry. Yeah, uh, so just to synopsize the question, uh, the song choice uh, for, for that scene towards the end, uh, can you talk about arriving at choosing that song with your budget as opposed to you know creating something yourself? 
Uh, this one was the same, the same budget as the whole movie, so yeah, it was like, you know, A, movie, B, song, yeah, so for sure, yeah, uh, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically it, I like that song, I mean, it wasn't the first song we had in mind, the first one we just couldn't get the rights, it was Love is a Stranger by Eurythmics, but um, we didn't get the rights, um, this one actually I think it's better, in a way it works better, it's more, sim I love that it's so simple, it's, the lyrics are almost like, you know, Stupid or so, it's like I look into your eyes and I fell in love. It's like the, the most the simple lyrics in the world. But in that scene, because they're young and it, they feel that, I feel like, I don't know, for some reason, it felt that uh, it spoke to me in that scene. Um, and we played a million songs with a sound designer too, and I felt like that's the one that we, we liked. Also, the beats, it has something uh, sort of melancholy as well, but it's still sort of modern as well, the sound. Um, I don't know, yeah, we, we liked it. But definitely, well, yeah, it was expensive, yeah. And props I mean, on it wasn't that expensive, but yes, compared to the movie, it was definitely... Yeah, was I, I love that they were listening to a record in the late 90s. That, <laughs> that was pretty great. Uh, any other um, audience questions? Uh, yes. Uh, what was the inspir your inspiration for the end of the century? Title or yeah, I mean that's uh, definitely that I was interested in like you know the like the last twenty years you know of, when you're forty I feel like you're I mean I'm, I'm forty three but in, and in your forties you kind of become a little bit like you know you're you're right in the middle of your life and when you're thirty the the past twenty years it's like when you're ten so that you kind of forget when you're twelve or eleven but when you're forty you really remember when you were twenty you know so you're very the last 20 years are very present in my life, and I, I think that something happened like 15 years ago or five, and it kind of feels like the same way. Um, and I feel like it's a nice, for me, from now until like 1999, it's a, it's a time where I really remember, I, can, I mean, I, I can't describe everything, of course, but I, I, there's things that I remember very vividly, and I like that idea that it's this 20 years of my life that I feel that I have some sort of, like, not ownership, but I guess memory, or that they live with me in a daily basis. Um, so I wanted to like you know to bring that and bridge that the present to the last twenty years. Also, uh, you know it's it's a very gay movie as you know as you've, <laughs> seen, as, you've, as you've experienced, and I feel like in terms of that you know like AIDS for example changed a lot in the last twenty years. Um, you know like twenty years ago it was like death or actually a little more but twenty five was death and now it's like it's totally fine. People I mean not not in the whole world like in Africa people are still dying but in the states where people you know where people can afford. Uh, treatment, it's it's still, you know, a, fine, a totally curable chronic disease, you know. Uh, so, so yeah, I guess this 20 years thing, I thought I was interested in, you know, in talking about that. Um, but having sent, said this, I do, the movie to me was always about these two characters, you know, and these things kind of like appear as I was writing them, but not, o not always in a conscious manner, you know, sometimes they just, you know, um, just appear as I was writing that stuff, yeah. Uh, how did you choose the actors? Yeah, the actors were chosen. Oh, yeah. uh, how did you choose the actors? <laughs> yeah. uh, the actor, the main actor, was chosen uh, wa by. Uh, well, it was I got to him through a theater like a casting director who who worked with him in a play that he that she did, and I wanted someone who could be um, who could be forty and twenty physically, but also I wanted someone who had some sort of like. Um, insecurity about him be behind a sort of like, you know, like a very like f secure or confident facade. And I felt that that actor had that. Uh, he seems very confident, but actually when you talk a few things to him, it's actually, he's actually quite uh, insecure, I guess that's, yeah, I did, but you know. And the, uh, the other one, I feel like it's the opposite. He, Ramon, the other one is, he feels very insecure at first, but then when you talk to me, actually there, he has a very confident, you know, uh, spine to him. Um, I mean, of course, there's other things that I, that I looked at. I mean, he's also handsome and whatever, and like, I feel like they do a good match, but I do, um, I, I, I looked at that a lot. And also, um, Juan, the main actor, is an extremely smart actor who had worked, he worked in movies that I loved, and he, uh, he really helped, you know, when, when he didn't rewrite the movie, but he definitely helped, like, you know, the, uh, create many things. The decisions of the movie were done with him, too. Um, yeah. Uh, yes. Um, 
Can you talk a little bit about the sound design of the film? Was it done in a studio, practically, just the, your development of that? Yeah. Well, thanks for noticing. I'll, I'll tell Rob, the sound designer. For sure, sound was the thing we worked the most. You know, it's, I finished editing the movie in like two months, and there, was, there were like five months of sound design. So for sure, that was like by far the, the, most, the thing we actually worked. Because everything is, you know, in each, each scene, like the first shot, there's like a car and like a, a, a bicycle. Everything was added, you know, in post-production. We did it in, in a small studio, yeah, that at my friend's house. Um, and yeah, everything was added. Not everything was added because, of course, we recorded stuff. Like all the dialogue was actually, we didn't dub almost anything of the dialogue. It was just done live. But the, uh, the rest of the sounds were definitely, like, you know, uh, worked on afterwards, yeah. Also because the movie has no soundtrack. I mean, it has basically two songs, the dance song and then the, the, the credit song. Uh, the sound needed to be, uh, for me, it needed to be like, you know, prevalent, clear, and, and about the scenes, you know, nothing to, 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 to uh, I wanted to keep it in the, in the content of the scene that was going on, but definitely I wanted the sound to be uh, something that was, you know, yeah, uh, potent, like strong, you know, yeah. Yes? Did you want to present any ambiguity in the accents of the characters? Um, you mean ambiguity in the way they... S they uh, if someone was Argentinian versus... Ah, uh, yeah, I mean, if you, if you are from Spain or from Argentina or from other Latin countries, you are not, you, I feel you clearly and could understand you know, that one is from Argentine and the other one's uh, Spanish. Uh, the Spanish one also is all, speaks Catalan a little, bit, a little bit too because he's from, from, from that part of Spain. Um, but yeah, basically that's, yeah. I mean, I, 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 the main character is Argentine, so yeah, I mean, he, his accent is quite, I mean, again, if you speak Spanish, it's, it's, it's very different. The accents are definitely very, very different, yeah. Uh, so the interiors of your film are, are gorgeous, just very well designed. I loved her apartment. I loved, loved the Airbnb. I would definitely stay there. Um, <laughs> Uh, but you know, it, it shows that you know the characters of your film are uh, are pretty well off. Uh, where did that decision come in in the writing process or the aesthetic process of making these just you know aff more affluent uh, characters? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. Actually, that I've never, it's the first time that I got that question out of Q and A, and it's interesting, definitely, because I thought about that. I mean, they are both they both have jobs. Uh, I mean, that Airbnb it, it, it exists, and it's it's like I think eighty euro a night, so it's not super unaffordable. Was that what you were paying for it? Uh, yeah, <laughs> but I wasn't staying there. The producer was staying there. Uh, and the other apartment was also done, it was very like, you know, it's, it's the, the apartment in the past, it's in my mind, it was something that, that Sonia, who's a little bit older, uh, kind of inherits from like a grandma or like an aunt that lives in, mm -hmm. in Barcelona. That's why it has all these books and it feels like an older apartment. The Airbnb where he's staying now, it's something that, I mean, they're both, they both work, mm -hmm. they have jobs. Uh, they are okay, you know, they're, they're, it's definitely not, um, they, I mean, you know, the movie is definitely not focused on their, um, I guess, on their money, even though, of course, that is a big part of it, because, of course, you know, as an audience, you question, well, he can afford this, he can travel, he can go here, uh, but I guess, yeah, I guess they're like, you know, middle class, uh, right. yeah. Any other questions? Uh, yes? So your main character introduces himself as a poet, but uh, we never actually hear any of his poetry. But in, instead, there, there's a lot of visual poetry in the film. Was, you know, can you talk about that decision? Yeah, I mean that's that's an interesting point. I I, know, I didn't I never thought about that. I didn't uh, choose to show his poetry because I felt that uh, well, first of all, you know, poetry a poet a poem can be like like William Carlos Williams, it can be like a very, like, you know, this chair is black, you know, it doesn't need to be like, like evocative lyrical poem, you know. But I definitely feel that the movie feels to me like a, there's something literary, not intentional, but I feel like now that I see it with like a little bit more of a distance, I feel like it has a sort of like literary quality to it. Even the title feels literary to me. 
and the character arriving. It feels like a novel in some somehow. Um, and I want, I, you know, when you show a poem, I mean, there's that text in the in the film that's shown. That's not, it, it's not his poem, but it's 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 text. And I feel like, you know, um, it's a it's a bit it's hard to show poetry in film. You know, text. I mean, it can be narrated, it can be told. Uh, I just honestly didn't find like a place for the character to like recite his poetry in in this film or in these scenes. Um, but yeah, but it's a, it's it's an it's an interesting question, and for sure. Um, you know, he's a poet to me, but of course he's a poet now, but he works at an airline doing marketing, you know, so it's, and it's, he's definitely struggling with like keeping up with his passion, even though he does his diary, his, his magazine and stuff. Um, and before when he's young, he just wants to be that, you know, so I like to show that, uh, which is great because he's still, he's still doing poet, poetry, he's just figured out a way to do it in a way that works for him, you know. Uh, so to me, that was more important than showing his actual poetry in the film, I guess, too. Uh, but yeah, that's good. It's a good point, though. Thanks. Any last question? Yeah. Can you uh, talk about the development of the old dog TV show? Yeah, um, I feel like well, the movie has a thing with aging, and um, I, I think the characters have a thing with aging. You know, uh, it's a little bit implicit, but it's something that I thought about a lot in the movie as well. Um, you know, it's it's you know, how do you age uh, as a gay man, you know, or how do you age as a straight person? You know, it's like it's you know, you have you cannot have you have kids, you get married. There's a few like mandates that happen to you, you know, when you as you grow older. Um, do you do you do yoga or whatever? You know, it's like you keep young, but at one point maybe you give up that stuff. So I feel like the idea of aging to me was a part of the movie, and I wanted to put it in some way that was a little bit subtle or funny, uh, and I, and that's why he's doing this show. This and the show basically it's just an, uh, a show of this old dog who nobody wants to adopt him, and this but these younger puppies go in and out, you know. Uh, so I thought it was a way to talk about, to say something or mention or just you know sow a seed in the audience about this theme or this idea without making it obviously about aging, even though I guess it's important parts it is too, yeah. I think we can squeeze in one last question here. I uh, know you, yeah. Um, so this is your first feature film, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I noticed you said that you, know, you like the film a lot. I do too, it was wonderful. Um, but just sort of reconsidering and thinking about your first film, <clears throat> is there anything that you might do differently or be extra critical of or, or what things are you thinking about when you're watching it that might As your first film, is there anything looking back on it that you would do differently? I mean, uh, there are some details that, yeah, for sure I would have done. Well, we lost the audio of day eight of filming, uh, we, and then we had to like you know redo it again. And it's weird because the actor is called Ocho, which means eight in, in whatever. It's like <laughs> a weird symbol thing. But yeah, there's a few details in the movie that I would have done differently. But you know, we did it in very very short time. And the, these details are not really that important. You know, I feel like the way the movie happened and the way the movie exists now, and it's out in the world, I'm very, I'm quite happy with the, with the way it is. Also, I feel that you know, movies are, it's hard to regret something that it's already there and you made because it's, it's there for a reason and to change that would be to change everything and who knows you know, what that other thing would have looked like. Uh, but yeah, I guess I, I learned more about some like, you know, logistical things that would give me, you know, uh, help me in the, in the next one to do some things a bit different. But there are really like silly things like, you know, for example, the, I don't know, a, wine, a wine bottle, just add, add more water so it has more, I mean, they're really boring things to describe now. But they're more like these details are not really about the film per se. Yeah. All right, well, thanks so much for coming. Thank thanks so much. Uh, thanks end, of Thank <laughs> end of the Century is playing here through Thursday. There's another Q&A tomorrow, I believe. Uh, so if you liked it, please tell your please, friends about yeah. them. Get them here. Uh, also, our next screening is in like 10 minutes, so if you could pick up your trash, that, that would be great. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to welcome back to the stage the director of End of the Century, Lucio Castro. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this weekend. Um, this is a very beautiful film. I caught it today and I, I found it very moving. As somebody in a long-term relationship, this film had a lot to say to me and it had me reflecting on a lot of things. Um, 
So this film does tell a story of a conventional thing, a long-term relationship, but it's told in an unconventional manner because it's non-linear. And I'm curious, was the film originally conceived or written this way? Um, yeah, the film was written the way you saw it. It's, I started writing the film uh, in a very simple way. This character arrives in a city. You know, he doesn't know the city very well. And then he starts, you know, doing like things that tourists do. Like he goes and checks into his Airbnb, um, go, walks around, goes to eat, uh, goes out, uh, tries to to hook up online, and then he finds somebody else. Uh, they meet, they have sex, then they start talking. And w in the middle of the dialogue, I realized I, I didn't realize. I thought, what if actually they met before? So then I started writing the beginning of the story. Uh, so yeah, it was just I didn't have like a master plan of like you know present, past, and then this, you know, uh, possible possible uh, future. I just had, it was just the way I wrote it and the way, the way I guess, the way I saw it. Yeah. Your um, two lead actors, they're really superb in inhabiting these uh, lead characters. There's an absolute palpable chemistry between them on screen. And I'm curious, did they have any familiarity with each other or any rehearsal period before being filmed? Yeah, no, they met one, Juan, who is plays Ocho, is from Argentina, and Ramon is from Spain, and they met the day before. They had delays, delayed flights, so they, they were actually, they, he, they met them like the night before. They are both uh, really smart actors, and I feel like they faked it at first, because, they're, I mean, they're actors, so they, they could, I mean, they're good actors, and they could fake it, and then actually they became friends, so it's not, um, the chemistry is not. I mean, it, we shot the sex scenes kind of like in the middle of the of the of the shooting, um, and they weren't that close then. But they became closer afterwards. And now actually, they're friends now, <laughs> forcibly. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. They definitely had that uh, pumpable chemistry or palpable. I guess either one would work. And I'm curious to ask, and I don't know if this is even necessarily necessary to know but just my own curiosity are either of the two leads out gay actors uh ramon the spanish actor is gay uh juan is not a gay actor and he's not gay he also he never had a gay he's a really he does a lot of great films in argentina he does a lot of theater he's never done a gay before this movie he's never done a gay scene before um he was not nervous about that at all he was just uh, in this, during the sex scenes, there were the, both the actors wanted me to be very determined, you know, and, and be very specific about like how how much would they see, what shot. Uh, Juan had had a, a, um, a movie where he was asked to like you know kind of improvise with the, with the actress, you know, a, a sex scene, and he had found that to be very you know tedious. And actually, and then when he saw the final cut, like just these two shots, he, he what, just tell me that what these two shots would have been like, you know, all. Uh, all out in those two shots, uh, and that would have been much better. So we actually we planned the shots carefully, and they were more nervous about that than about being naked or about being gay. That's that they were not. That's that was not an issue. Yeah, yeah, for either. I do feel like there is a third lead character in this film, and that is uh, Barcelona. And I'm curious why you chose that city and what Barcelona means to you. Yeah. And so I don't know this. I mean, now I know the city quite well, but before I didn't know the city at all. And I, I wrote the movie almost with like Google Earth, you know, like, you know, I like, like tops, I, attractions in Barcelona. And so because I thought, you know, if I would have written about the city where I'm from, which is Buenos Aires, or the city where I live now, which is New York, uh, I would have had, I think, a different, it would have been hard for me to look at those cities in a way with a more innocent look, you know, a more newcomer look. So I wanted to find like a place that I didn't really know that much either. And you know, when you arrive to a new place, you're you're much more aware of the surroundings. You're mu you're mu you're absorb things much more. That's why the beginning is you know there's like a, there's almost 13 minutes with no dialogue. So uh, to me, it's, it was very important to to, to to mark the difference between you know when you're alone, the surroundings become very very important. You listen to people, you see buildings. You know when you want somebody else. You're just talking the whole, it can be anywhere with just background, you know? So I wanted to mark the difference. And I thought Barcelona was also like a beautiful city. It was very cheap. It was great to get permits. We got a lot of permits for free. Like we shot on the beach, we shot in incredible museums. We're alone with these like masterworks, you know, just our team. Uh, we shot on the streets and sidewalks in the, in the labyrinth. You know, basically, we, you know, the, the city totally opened the, its their doors to us. And um, yeah, and also I was in Europe because I had a short that was in Cannes last year, so I was already there, and I wanted to do it in Spanish. So yeah, that's that's why that's why I picked it. 
Um, I'm curious if this film, um, if you put a lot of your own personal experiences into it, especially in regards to long-term relationships. Uh, for sure, yeah. I, it's not autobiographical per se, like none of the characters is me, that's not my real experience. But for sure, you know, what the things that they experience and they talk about are things that I've maybe experienced or talked about or thought about. Uh, so yeah, I think it's very familiar feelings and familiar experiences, but done in like a totally made up scenario with made up characters. Uh, I'm not either one of them, even though I live in New York and I'm Argentine, so maybe there's a lot of similarities there. But it's not strictly, you know, that's, this story didn't happen to me, you know, in any way. Uh, this film has a real naturalistic quality to it, and a big part of that is the lack of scoring. Um, typically, the you know the score, the music, kind of tips you off into what emotional reaction to have. In this film, we don't have that. We're getting almost all of our information. We're getting that particular information just by reading these actors' faces and uh, what they bring to it. And I'm curious if there was ever any pushback to this decision. Yeah. Uh, no. I wanted to, the, to, the movie to have no no score except for the song and the, the dancing and then the, the ending the credit song because I wanted the movie to feel like a diary. You know, I, I feel that sometimes, I mean, there's amazing scores in, in great movies that I absolutely love, but um, there, it's also, I, I also like when a movie doesn't make you feel, I mean, music in movie can make you feel, it's such a strong, there's such a strong presence in it and it can really push you to feel in a certain way. And I wanted to give the movie a little bit more with like a diary, you know. Um, that's why there's like few scenes that have, there's many scenes, ma many, I, I put the camera in places where like, with, you know, for example, he picks up a condom and wraps it, the wraps a condom. That's done in the same uh, weight, I guess, with another image of them talking. You know, I wanted to keep everything almost like in the same, the way we experience the world, you know. We like, we tie our shoes, we talk to someone, we think of something, we remember something, we think of, we think of tomorrow, we think of yesterday. We are happy. We're sad. I mean, everything almost has the same weight, and I wanted to to be the same. I wanted to do that in the movie as well. You know, to keep things almost in the same weight. And I feel like adding a score to 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 some specific movements or actions or would have been almost too invasive in a way. Also, I thought that without a score, then the sounds of the city become more alive. You're more aware to that, which I liked. And also, this, the lack of score makes this, the two moments of music in the movie make a little be a little bit more. Impactful, I guess. That uh, song that they do dance to it really stands out in the film. I'm uh, Flock of Seagulls, I believe that is. Is um, was that song chosen early on? Were they actually dancing to that? Did you know you were going to be going for that piece of music in particular, or did you have something else in mind? I had something else in mind, but I couldn't get the rights. Uh, it was uh, "Lies a Stranger" by Eurythmics. Uh, this song is actually better to me, so I'm happy I didn't get those rights. Uh, it was. Uh, we, 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 they danced to many different songs, and then after we, when we were editing the movie, we tried a few songs in that scene too. Um, I picked this song because it's, you know, the lyrics are so simple. It's just almost like banal and like silly. It's just, you know, I looked into your eyes and I fell in love. You know, it's, it was like, but that simplicity to me worked. You know, they're young, um, and that connection is just as simple as that. You know, um, it's indescribable. It's huge, but it's also very small and intimate, and like it's that. And I like that. I also feel like the sound of the song is very melancholy. That it's it's very retro, but it's also very modern. You know, I feel like that that, this, that song to me feels of today somehow. Um, yeah, and then the song was actually had the, we paid. I mean, someone asked this yesterday, but basically, it's it's a, it's a fun fact or whatever fact, sad fact maybe. But it's the same money that that song. The rights for that song were the same amount of money that was the cost of the whole budget of the movie. You know, yeah. Which is not doesn't mean that the the song was that expensive, <laughs> or means that the movie was that cheap. Yeah. Personally, I was happy with with okay. that song choice. It both is, it really is retro yeah. and modern. Um, I happen to DJ at '80s goth clubs here throughout LA, and I can say that that song is still played every weekend somewhere here, and it still packs the dance floor. It definitely is a timeless song, and so it fits really well in this film, which also does feel to a degree um, timeless. Um, the film has a distinct directorial voice, I feel like. And I'm curious, was this a film where you had complete creative control or final cut? And on the flip side, would you ever be interested in directing more of a typical structured um, work for hire? Yeah. 
first the movie yeah this movie had I had complete control of the movie I I basically I wrote it myself I I almost I showed it just to like the, the sound designer who was a friend of mine but he basically gave me no feedback not because he thought it was amazing or terrible but just I guess he just trusted me so I wrote it I was shot with a very small crew so it felt very contained the story and then I, I edited it so the only the first time that I screened it at, at you know at MoMA, the first the first festival that we screened the movie was the first time that I saw people reacting to it. Uh, before there was no there no screening or anything. I wasn't interested in that for this movie because I felt that um, weirdly, and I'm I, I, I don't want to sound so were confident because I'm not, but I feel like for this movie, this story, it just everything made sense the way it did, you know and. It wasn't a film that required, yeah, I, um, I feel like, you know, it's like I didn't want to get like 10 voices of people to improve it in different ways because I feel like to me this movie was just that, you know, it is what it is, it's out there and it's this thing. Uh, and then if I would ever make a movie in a different way, for sure, I mean, I, I feel like that I connect with films in many different ways. I love films that are pure entertainment, I love films that are incredibly, I love avant-garde films, you know, I love film in many ways and I feel like each story not, not all, the stories that I connect to and that I like, you know, um, have there are some are like done with millions of dollars, some of them with nothing. You know, it's not really about that. And working with a great team that you trust, with editors, amazing editors, with co-writers, whatever. You know, it's like it sounds also. It can be great. You know, it can be a great collaborative experience. So I'm not at all opposed to that. Yeah. Maybe a Marvel movie from him in the future. You never know. <laughs> I think there's a lot in this film that. Um, is kind of up, open for interpretation. And in a way, I think that includes the title. I'm curious what end of the century means for you. Yeah. So the movie is basically about 20 years, right? And it's, I feel that for myself, you know, I'm 43 now, and I can remember my tw last 20 years with pretty, with a pretty, I'm pretty okay at, at from, I mean, with some sort of like, you know, uh, correct memory. I can remember my tw last 20 years. At 30, I didn't remember when I was 10 or 12, so those the 20 years before 30 were a bit more blurry. Here, I feel like kind of like you know it's it's a point a middle point in my life, and I'm very like aware of these 20 years, which makes my memories when I was 20 like 15 years ago or five maybe sometimes they mix together, uh, they're almost in the same plane, and also I feel like for you know uh, this. It's, you know, in the gay, I guess, in the gay lifestyle, you know, the 20 years have been crazy. There's been crazy change, you know, like AIDS was deathly, like, you know, or like some more than 20 years ago. Now it's a chronic disease in the States. And of course in Africa, a lot of people like, you know, are still dying. But in, in uh, people, in countries that where, you know, uh, PrEP exists and that there's treatment exists, you know, like uh, AIDS is no longer a threat, you know, a life threat. And also having kids, for example, that's also a huge change that happened now. Then 20 years ago, it was kind of like it was weird, and now it's totally normal, you know. So it's, I feel like gay culture in the last 20 years really changed a lot. You know, it's a huge leap forward. And also in my life, I feel like you know it's this these 20 years before uh, and now. I feel like you know they they almost like I can move back and forth in these moments, and they get, get they get confused as well. You know, last year, five years ago, 15 years ago, they kind of like you know mix up a bit. End of the Century, the film, you know, that that character is making a documentary mm -hmm. or the end of the century, 1999, so that's why the movie's also called that, too. Yeah. Um, before I open this up to the audience, I do want to ask uh, what you're working on next. And right in a short, uh, short uh, feature film, yeah, for two shot in upstate New York, and it's English uh, spoken, and yeah, yeah. I'll be <laughs> looking female, forward female to it. Not, not LGBT movie, but yeah. Um, do we have any questions from the audience? Yes, right here. I well, I, I did film. I started film in Argentina a long time ago, and then I, I worked in fashion professionally for a long time. And I've been I've always done short films uh, since then, you know. And yeah, basically I've been that, that I've been doing shorts. I wrote two screenplays for full features. And I've been working one of them to be shown in Argentina, and that one is a much more, it's a bigger cast, it's older actors, much many more characters and locations. So that one requires more money. So I've been working on that, getting finance for that film for a while, it's like almost five years. And there's another film that I've been working on too, another, another long feature, but mainly the, the shorts and these three stories, these three screenplays. Theater? No, I, I actually love theater, but no, no theater. Hmm, that's interesting. Because the title is so 
Right, right, right. It's the first time someone someone says that, but thank you, and it's interesting. Thank you. More questions? I'll ask another one, and maybe you'll, you'll come up with um, one during this. Uh, this film, I do feel, has a very interesting and positive portrayal of an alternative family, especially when you bring in the child um, toward the end. And we don't often see these stories, especially um, gay uh, stories and, and characters. I mean, we play a number of these films here at the New Art, and this one really kind of has a different angle and bringing the family and child into it. And I'm just curious, has there been any blowback on that, or how's the response been to um, showing this uh, side of the uh, gay community? Uh, no, I don't think there's been any blowback about that, actually, though, the, the kids. Uh, I added that scene because I thought, you know, the first disappears when they're in the dialogue after they have sex the first time and they go, you know, to the Montjuic, to this mountain, they have wine and they talk about, and they're just basically strangers in that, until that, that moment, even though they had sex. I liked that he says that he's married and he has a kid because I feel like it amplifies the story in all these directions, you know, and I love when in a dialogue of two characters, when you think that they're one thing and then they, someone says something and then that's, that totally changes the perception of that character, you know? I feel like that brings depth to that moment, you know? And that's why I wrote it the first time. Uh, coincidentally, I have actually two daughters too, so maybe that's also part of my experience that I added there. Um, but yeah, not, no, one, no one said anything that they were bothered or they were, uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, yeah, I guess no, no, no comments about that. that I part. found it to be a refreshing, um, view and change of pace. Any other questions? Yes, in the back. She's actually my daughter and she was starving that day. <laughs> I told, uh, yeah, because they, she, I wanted her to buy that peach, so I told her not to feed, she was not fed for a few hours, no, 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 I mean, just a few hours. No, 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 no torture. <laughs> No, no, no children were tortured in the making of this film. <laughs> Another very naturalistic performance by her. Any more questions before we wrap up? Yeah, right over here. So the ending of the movie, um, there's any if, if he was in amnesia or what happened with that. Uh, I mean, the movie is really what you saw. You know, uh, it's not reality. It's not. It's just a projection of, on a screen. Um, I, the way I wrote it, my intention for for that scene, uh, I, I feel like if I say it, it's going to become the only intention and the only truth. And for me as a filmmaker, I love that you guys also the same thing, and maybe you each have different interpretations, or you each have a different truth, or whatever it is. You know. So I'd rather keep it that way, uh, and not tell you my intention for that scene. But definitely, like, you know, there's there's uh, the ending of the movie uh, makes the whole movie or the whole reality of the movie like crumble a little bit or stumble. You think, well, the, was were they together the whole time? Were they at, be at the beginning? Was was that real? Was that not real? But uh, my suggestion is to. Just trust whatever you feel it is in that scene, and uh, you know it, it, that's all right. There's no right or wrong answer in that in that way. You know. Yeah. Sorry that I can't say anything more. <laughs> Personally, I appreciate that you've made a film that lets the audience kind of work themselves and, and figure it out. It's kind of a refreshing uh, change of pace for an audience who wants to have a little a little more challenge uh, watching the film. I mean, I'm I'm an audience. You know, I, I love watching movies and I do it all the time. I do it every day. And as an audience, I love to be an, an active member. You know, I love to be, I love to not be fed and spoon-fed information or or how I'm supposed to feel or how am I supposed to think. So I, as a director, also I love to give the audience, trust the audience that they'll come up with something. You know, it might be their version. I mean, I mis mis misinterpret millions of movies, and probably actually I'm wrong, but it's okay because it's my it's my vision of them, and it's my experience with the movies. You know, so. Uh, it's an you know it's an art form and there's no right or wrong answer. It's just an impression of something. It's just light on a screen, as I said. It's you know, 
uh, everything's right. You know, there's no nothing wrong with it. You know, any, any possibilities? Yeah. Any more questions? Yes, we'll do this side first. Yeah, I didn't say they went easily, <laughs> or maybe sorry if I if I if I yeah, I said the city the city was very like open for us to shoot. There were millions of like you know like filming. If probably if you've done it, it's like it's like something that's an impossible thing. That at the end of the day, by a magical thread, some everything saved. You know, and that was like that every day. Like the scene where they they're both talking. That's a very long scene. You know, it's like almost ten minutes, and there's no takes. And I wanted the sky to change the color. Uh, so we only had like you know twilight only happens in like you know in, like 45 minutes I guess, so we it meant like that we had like four four takes, and right when we were about to get the right take, uh, the card of the camera was full, and we're in the middle of the mountain of Montjuic, so my the producer had to run with a Vespa all the way down to a cafe, download the card, come up, and then it was that that scene that we did, you saw, which was for me like the, per, the the light that I wanted, but just happened just you know by full by total chance. Uh, but I mean, everything like this, the beach scene, it was our last date. It was for, I mean, it's the sunniest city in the world, but that those 12 days, it rained almost every day. <laughs> so the beach scene, um, we were okay, we have to do it today. I guess they're gonna, they go to the beach on a rainy day. You know, it's, that's, it's, you know, that's what, that's all that we got. And magically, when we were able to shoot that scene, the sun completely opened. And also we, ha we, we only had to do it in the morning because otherwise that beach is full of people. So we had to do it like at, at six at six a.m. and suddenly the, the sky opened up and it was like the most beautiful sunny day. So, uh, yeah. So there, I mean, it wasn't easy. It was just like the city was very you know open to us making it there. Yeah. Did we have a question over here? Yeah, over on the aisle. Cost of the music rights, I can tell you the exact cost, but it was very, very small. Uh, so I'm not going to spoon fetch you that either. <laughs> but it was very small. It was really, I mean, compared to like Hollywood numbers, it was really, really small. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the one I loved about this movie is Thank you. the dance scene was really wonderful. Thank you. And I, it's hard for me to remember a lost time when a Belgian or a Latinx people. <laughs> Any more questions? Well, thank you, Lucio, for joining so us Thanks tonight. Everyone, and thank you. We very much Thanks appreciate so you coming thank back, you. and we hope that we'll have you back in the future with what you have, thank what you. you do next. Thanks so much. Also, please let your friends know we will be playing End of the Century through this week through Thursday night, so please recommend it to your friends. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Landmark Theatre's Q&A podcast. If you want to hear more conversations with filmmakers about the latest independent, foreign, and documentary films opening at Landmark Theatres, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit our podcast website at landmarktheaters.podbean.com. You can also check out our YouTube channel for videos of Q&As and other exclusive content. See you next time.